FBC, again, it's great to be here with you today. Just a report, uh, after the first service, I only got one hug. So I'm just hoping you guys can do better, okay? Hey, here's the question that I have to get us started uh, this morning. What do you believe uh, those outside the church think about us inside the church? What do you believe those outside the church think about us inside the church? Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, can we just say, oh my goodness, we're so glad you're here. It takes courage to show up into a room of people who are singing and praying, and we're just glad you're here with us today. Again, the question, what do you think those outside the church think about us inside the church. Well, in 2022, there was a national study done called Jesus to those in America. Just a great title to a study. And they asked that very question to those who weren't followers of Jesus. What do you typically associate with Christians? Here were the top 10 characteristics. Are you ready? Buckle up. Number one, hypocritical. Number two, judgmental. Number three, self-righteous. Number four, arrogant. Number five, unforgiving. Number six, selfish. Number seven, disrespectful. Number eight, giving. Number nine, friendly. Finally, we got friendly in there. Couldn't even get it in the top three, guys. And number 10, compassionate. Now, this is by no means let's beat up on uh, Christians kind of sermon. Um, I I look at this list. We should be able to look at this list and at least uh, admit we struggle with some of these areas. I mean, as Christians, I think by definition, uh, we have the courage to say, you know what, my life is morally bankrupt. I do need help. I have made a mess of my life, and I need someone to come help me. But I look at this list, at the same time, it's heartbreaking. There, There should be something we can learn from this, where the world thinks of Christians as arrogant, self-righteous, and hypocritical, I want them to look at the church in the Bay Area, from Benicia to Oakland, and see, I want them to think love. I want them to look at us and see love on display. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, no big deal at all. I got here early to look at your pew Bibles, and 1 John is on page 832. You don't even have to go to the table of contents. That's how much I love you guys this morning. Page 832, and I'm going to read from chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Follow along with me as I read God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that, so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. Now let me just talk about the author real quick. The author is John. If you don't know much of his life, Jesus Jesus lived approximately 33 years, and it was the final three years of his life that he really committed to his public ministry. Now John was one of the students or disciples of Jesus. 
He's now writing this little letter, just five chapters, almost uh, as an elder statesman in the church, like later in his life. And he's writing to the church at large in the midst of great theological confusion. We won't go into it at all because the Super Bowl is coming later on today. But in the midst of the, the theological confusion, John wants to bring the church back to the basics. Who is Jesus and how does Jesus transform everything about our lives? Let me give you guys just a vision for where I'm going today. I've got three main headings, trying to keep it simple. If you're a note taker, you can maybe write these down in the new notes that have been published by FBC. It's pretty awesome. Number one, the life of Jesus in perfect, is perfect love on display. The life of Jesus is perfect love on display. Number two, we love others by telling others about the love of Jesus. Not the only way we, we love others, but one of the critical ways we love others. And number three, we are driven to see others experience joy-filled community. Hopefully you see all those points in the text. We want to be kind of tied, connected, tethered to God's word. Let's look at that first heading, the life of Jesus is perfect love on display. And there's no better person to talk about the life of Jesus than John. Again, John was tied to the hip of Jesus for three years. John heard every sermon and talk that Jesus gave. Before TED Talks were a thing, Jesus was killing the TED Talk scene, and John was right there. John saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle. John saw Jesus crucified, lifted high upon a cross. John was with Jesus after Jesus had resurrected and spent about 40 days with his followers. John was right there. Again, John wants us to understand that what he says has credibility and authority because he had a front row seat to the most spectacular show on earth. John was right there. And he wants to make sure we understand that, we get that. Verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we had heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Verse number 2, The life appeared, and we have seen it. Verse number 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. What's John's point? I'm not some random dude that are with about Jesus, like some rumor about some Jewish Messiah. I was right there with him. I saw him with my eyes. I touched him with my hands. I heard him with my ears. I was with Jesus. Now, maybe you're here and you doubt kind of the historicity of Jesus. Like these Christians are just a bunch of crazy people and Jesus didn't even exist. The, he was just a made-up figure to help people live a better life. Uh, you're not alone in your beliefs. There's other people that believe that Jesus is just a myth. I would just suggest that you're out of step with virtually all historians, Christian and non-Christian. We could go back to the first and second century and we can hear non-Christian accounts of Jesus Christ. Like you can search these guys up on the internet, you can walk into Pastor Matt's office, I'm sure he's got some books, and you can read about Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, or Josephus, all giving non-Christian historical accounts to the life of Jesus. That Jesus existed, he was a teacher, he was a miracle worker, and he was worshiped as God. Virtually all historians, Christian and non-Christian, agree that Jesus existed. 
And again, John's whole point is that I was right there with him. He's building up his authority and credibility. Now, if we look at 1 John as a whole, one of the things that Jesus wants to do is awaken the church to a life and ethic of love. Like, think about that Jesus in America study and how friendly was number nine. This is John's love letter to us to awaken us to a life and an ethic of love. 45 times, FBC, 45 times in five chapters, John refers to love. The love of the Father, the love of the Son, right? The love that Christians are meant to have for one another and those outside the church. I don't know about you, though, but if I'm going to be called to love, I need an example of what love looks like. I need a picture. I need an example of something to hold on to or I'm never going to get there. It didn't seem like we had many Eagle fans or Chief fans in the room, and that's okay. I wonder if we have any Ikea fans in the room. Not so much either. I've only been to Ikea three times in my life. Each time after walking through uh, 19 floors like cattle, I went home into a dark room and I just cried. I cried myself to sleep because it was emotionally and physically exhausting. But each of those times, like my wife and I, we came home with like a bookshelf or a coffee table and we opened the box and I don't know about you guys, maybe you're more intuitive, you can see the screws and the washers and the pieces of wood and you can just put it together. That's just not where we're going. I need help. I need a picture of where we're headed, where we're going. What is this coffee table supposed to look like? What's the bookshelf supposed to look like? And what are the steps? How do we get there? Again, remember, First John, he's trying to awaken us to love. And he's going to give us a picture, an example of what true love looks like. And he's going to hold up Jesus Christ as perfect love on display. You want to know what love looks like? Look to Jesus, right? And so we can read the Gospels, and we can see how Jesus was patient. Like, that was a demonstration of his love for the disciples. The disciples were always dropping the ball, always messing up, two steps forward, one step back, and Jesus was patient. We could see how Jesus was, showed empathy to a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, taken advantage of by others. We can see the empathy of Jesus. Or we can see the compassion of Jesus. We can see how Jesus engaged with lepers. Where the whole Jewish community was like running the other direction, Jesus would move towards the leper, touch the leper, bring love and healing to the leper. Again, if we want to be a people of love, if we want the world to look inside uh, this little community here in Benicia or the church in Oakland, we want them to see. We don't need the love. We don't need them to see people that are arrogant, self-righteous. We don't need them to see people who watch Fox or CNN. We need them to see people who love like Jesus. Now, at the heart of Jesus' love is sacrifice. 1 John 3.16, so this is just a couple chapters later in the book of 1 John. John will write this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Like, if all we did was see the empathy, patience, and compassion of Jesus, we would be missing something, right? John says we don't even know what love is until we understand that Jesus Christ willingly, even joyfully, gave himself for the good of others. This is the good news of the gospel, 
that Jesus sees us in all of our mess, all of our self-righteousness, all of our pride. He enters into the brokenness of this world, and every step of Jesus is a step closer to the cross. Jesus gives himself fully and completely so that we would experience the abundant life, the good life, the joy-filled life. And now Jesus calls us as his students and as his disciples, just like John was a student and disciple, Jesus invites us into this cross-shaped life that we too would give ourselves for the good of others. The single mother who gives herself fully and completely for the good of her daughter. It's the husband who maybe put some of his dreams, desires, and wants on the shelf for the good of his family. It's the single person that lives with a couple roommates who's not just thinking about himself, but is thinking about the, the whole home, the whole community. He's, he's not just looking to his own needs and wants. He's thinking about the good of others. This is the cross-shaped life that Jesus invites us into. Martin Luther King Jr. says this, Every time I look at the cross, I'm reminded of the greatness of God and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Like whether you're a believer or you're not sure yet, uh, I think there's value in us looking at the life of Jesus and specifically looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. And as we think upon his love, as we reflect upon his love, maybe we're even moved to rejoice because of the love of Jesus. As we think, reflect, and rejoice, by God's grace, over time, we might become, we might become like Jesus Christ. His love, his perfect love demonstrated in our imperfect lives. Amen? Uh, Heading number two. I told you I had three headings. I'm, I'm staying on script, okay, guys? I'm not deviating. Point number two, we love others by telling others about the love of Jesus. Telling us, okay? I think if there's one thing that scares church people, it's actually telling other people about Jesus, Um, I'm scared to tell other people about Jesus, and if I'm scared, I I know it's a fear that permeates the church as well. I think oftentimes we're afraid to tell other people about Jesus because we don't want to lose relationships. We're afraid to tell other people about Jesus because we think we we don't have all the answers. Or maybe we've just seen bad examples, and we don't want to be like them. And and these type of fears, they rattle around in our, our heads and hearts and they keep us from doing anything. I just want to suggest one of the greatest ways we can love people is telling people about the love of Jesus Christ. It's not the only way, all right? So don't hear me say that. We have to be good listeners. We, we have to be generous. We have to show up. Like, we, we just have to be in their lives. But I think our love is made complete when we're inviting people into the love that we've experienced in Jesus Christ. And I just wonder if some of us, maybe most of us, including myself, are at times content just kind of sitting on the sidelines. We'll let other people do that. We'll let the church planner in Oakland do that, right? It's like the kid who is missing out playing with his friends. His friends are jumping, they're playing, they're they're on the jungle gym, they're on the basketball court, but he's too afraid to get scraped and bruised. He just sits on the sideline and watches. I wonder how many of us are content sitting on the sidelines at times missing out on the joy and the adventure of partnering with God. Like, God is on a mission right now in Benicia and even in Oakland. God is on a mission to draw people to himself, to lead people to everlasting life, and he calls us to participate in that mission. 
Verse 1, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Verse 2, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Like John is so convinced of the love and power of Jesus Christ, he just wants to tell everybody about Jesus. Again, if the words testify and proclaim feel a little too churchy for you, like maybe that's something the paid Christian does, the paid professional, but not the everyday Christian, all John is talking about is using our intellect and putting thoughts and ideas together to tell other people about good news of Jesus. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have a seminary degree. We don't even have to be an extrovert. We just have to love people, love people so well that we're willing to open our mouths and share the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, again, I'll just say real quick, our family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors, they need to know that we love them regardless if they hear or receive the message we have to communicate. They don't want to feel like there are projects, like we're just kind of crossing them off our our list. So that means I think we have to love people consistently over time. We have to show up to their games, show up to their, their victories, show up when they're hurting and alone. We have to be present. We have to be generous. We have to be compassionate. We have to have a listening ear. And I think when we love people just like the way we want to be loved, Over time, God may be preparing them to hear what we have to say. And again, what do we have to say? We just get to tell people about the greatest news that anyone's ever heard, that life with God is possible, not because of our good works, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. Again, one more time, I think one of the most clear ways we can show our love to other people is by being willing to tell them about Jesus. You don't have to do it alone. Like, we get to do this together. It's a community project. Even when I shared the story about Alexandra, I mentioned women who, like, were just consulted on her. It was a community project. Like, I got to have conversations with Alexandra, but, but so did other people in our community. It was like this whole community coming together, so we work at this together, FBC. Number three, we are driven to see others experience joy-filled community. I love this. Look at what John says in verses 3 and 4. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. We're guided by love, but we're driven to see other people experience joy-filled community. It's like, again, John is so convinced by who Jesus is, he wants everybody over here with him. He he wants more and more people to experience the joy that he's experienced. And again, at the center of this community isn't Pastor Matt, it's not Pastor Gabe. At the center of this community is God himself. And, And John is saying, my joy is complete when you over there are over here with me in this new fellowship and this new family and at the center of this family is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been like so excited about something, so passionate about something, you wanted to tell other people about it, 
but it wasn't good enough that you just told other people about it. You wanted them to experience it. You, you fell in love with the book, but you didn't want to just tell other people about the book. You wanted to buy the book and give somebody a copy of the book. You fell in love with the Netflix show, but you didn't want to just tell people about the Netflix show. You wanted to post it on Instagram or text it out to friends and family. Like, I just fell in love with fly fishing. I went fly fishing one time, and I am hooked. And now, I want to bring everybody along with me. Like, I'm an expert. I actually don't know anything about fly fishing, but I had so much fun. I want other people to experience what I've experienced. This is John. John wants other people to experience what he's experienced. And what has John experienced? Well, I think there's a hundred different angles we can look at. But I think one of the things that John's experienced, one of the things I know I've experienced, some of you guys have experienced, I feel like Jesus provides soul satisfaction. There's something about what Jesus offers that satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. Jesus satisfies something that money can't satisfy, comfort can't satisfy, right? That, that intellect can't satisfy, that financial security can't satisfy, Jesus satisfies in a way that, that nothing of this world could satisfy. Really C.S. Lewis says it like this, most people, if they really learn how to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things this world has to offer to give to us, but it never keeps their promises. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first visit some foreign country or first take some subject that excites us are longings that no marriage, no travel, and no learning can really satisfy. The things of this world don't ultimately satisfy, but we always fall into this trap. Man, I'll, I'll finally be happy if we can move out to Benicia. I used to live in Oakland, but now I'm going to go to Benicia. I'll finally be happy if we got some kids in Benicia. How great would that be? I'll finally be happy once we get the kids out of the house. Oh my goodness, I can't wait to get the kids out of the house. It's just a trap that we all play. Constantly feeling like happiness and joy and contentment is right over there. When Jesus is right here saying, look to me and allow me to satisfy you right now in your present circumstances. C.S. Lewis would go on to say, creatures are not born with desire unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hungry, men such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim while there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire while there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience of this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I want us to be reminded that we were made for another world. And someone who's transcendent over the heavens and the earth actually stepped into this world to bring us to himself so that the deepest longings of our heart would be satisfied in the here and now. If you're here today and you're searching for the depths of your heart to be satisfied in the things of this world, let me save you some trouble. Stop. I can tell you story after story of how I've made a mess of my life by searching in all the wrong places. The problem isn't that we're searching. The problem is that we're naturally inclined to search down roads and doorways that never ultimately satisfy. What if in all of our searching, 
we finally realize what we've been searching for is the one who is currently searching for us. Again, whatever you're going through, wherever you're at, Jesus is right here inviting you to experience soul satisfaction today in him alone. Again, they're over so convinced in who Jesus is because he saw him, he heard him, he touched him. And he wants more and more people that are over there to be here, to experience what he's experienced, and to experience joy-filled community, knowing that at the center of joy-filled community is God. FBC, before we wrap up, I'm going to just give us three things really quickly to hopefully make this even a little bit more practical. What does this mean for us today? I want to challenge you to read through one of the Gospels, taking note every time you see Jesus demonstrate love. To all the high schoolers that sleep in in the back row, this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to open up the Gospels. There's four Gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark's the shortest, so let's start with Mark. And let's read the Gospel of Mark. And every time we see Jesus demonstrate love, let's make a little note. I think this exercise can be super like transformative in our lives. Number two, Evaluate in what ways you need to grow in loving others towards Jesus in word and deed. This is the way we've defined mission at New City Church, loving others towards Jesus in word or deed. So I want to challenge you to maybe evaluate what area do I need to grow in that? Maybe it's like I need to have more of a compassionate heart. Maybe I'm really committed to doing good deeds through my but I'm afraid to speak. We want to love people towards Jesus with our words and with our life. And number three, reflect on your own satisfaction in life. This actually might be the most challenging for, for all of us. It's the most challenging for me. Because even as a pastor who like, wrote this sermon, I realize that at times my satisfaction is so tied to the things of this world. My satisfaction is so tied to like, the comfort and ease of my life, the success of my children, the happiness of my wife, the success of our church. Again, those things are going to fluctuate. This is, they're guaranteed to fluctuate, to be here and then to be gone. Until Jesus returns, like th- this world is, is just never going to be perfect. And yet at the same time, we have the perfect one that wants to satisfy the deep longings of our hearts. So reflect on your own satisfaction in life. It's Super Bowl Sunday, which means uh, I have the responsibility to at least use one football illustration. I don't know if you guys know Tom Brady, but Tom Brady is seen as the greatest American who ever lived. I think he's won 33 Super Bowls. He's got rings, he's got accolades, he's got advertisement deals, he's got it all. Now, somewhere in his journey, someone asked him, kind of like, what's next, Tom? Like, you've got it all. Like, what's next? And Tom said, well, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. The, the rings weren't enough. The trophies weren't enough. The supermodel wife wasn't enough. There's got to be more to life than this. And I just want to remind us as a community that there's people like Tom Brady all throughout the Bay Area. They're, they're educated, they're driven, they're successful and they're still looking for something else. We have the amazing privilege to love those people as people, and when God gives us the opportunity 
to tell them about the hope we have in Jesus. I pray we would step up to that challenge. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, when we look at your son's life, we are um, challenged to love like he loves. And it's a good challenge. And so we just pray, like we're going to fail all the time, but we just pray that your spirit would meet us even in our failings, your, your grace would cover us, and you would continue to help us to live a life that is reflective of your son. The last thing I want to do as a guest preacher is place more burden upon us. And so, Lord, I don't want us just to run out these doors and just that we be more and more like Jesus and miss out on Jesus. So I just pray today that we would continue as a community of faith to experience more and more joy, peace, and contentment with our Savior. We would lean into what it really means to abide in Christ. And as we receive the love of Jesus, I do pray that it spills over into all of our relationships at home, in the community, at the workplace, in the neighborhood, and that more and more people would see the radical love of Jesus through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.